Did anybody drive in that crazy fog this last week? Yeah, I didn't do it on purpose. Like I, I wasn't. I, I'd forgotten like, about the whole like fog potential and whatnot. And so one evening this week, I'm like, oh, I got to go, and I had put in the curbside or I got to go pick it up or whatever. And then and I head out, and it wasn't bad by my house. And I get on to 94 out here as I'm getting on to the interstate. Also, I'm like, whoa, like what? Where did this even come from? And I suppose if I would have checked the weather, I, I would have known that it was coming. But I, I didn't. And so, but by the time I get on the freeway, I'm like, okay. I'm already on the freeway. By the time I can get off and turn around, I'm going to be there. So I might as well go to the store. So I get to the store and if I get there and, you know, from the end of the parking lot, you can't see the store. Um, actually, I missed my exit on the way. Like it was pretty, it was pretty intense. And on the way back, I drove slow. Um, there were people like flying past me. I'm one of those people, you know, I prefer, prefer to get there late than to not get there kind of person, you know? Um, so I, I try to, I, I prefer to just take it slow, but it could, it's, you know, cause it can be pretty dangerous when you can't see what's right in front of you. I mean, to miss an exit is one thing, but who knows what else could be there. Right. But as, as concerning as it is when it's foggy and you can't see when you're driving, I mean, it's far more concerning when you can't see your life clearly, you know, when, when you can't see yourself, when you can't see how you fit in the world, when you can't see what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to live, when you can't see other people clearly, when you can't see God clearly. And what's most concerning is that naturally none of us do see those things clearly. We are all naturally blind to God and how he sees us and, and, and how we fit and what our purpose is and, and what our, our, our path in life is, which is why it's such a blessing to begin the new series that we are today. We're beginning a new series called Now I See. And we're going to take a look, a closer look at some events from Jesus' life, miracles in particular, and we're, we're going to look a bit deeper into them and, and take a hold of how Jesus has changed things for us and take a hold of the miracle that he has done for us, how he, he has brought us from being blind to now we can see. Now we can begin to see him. Now we can begin to see ourselves. Now we can begin to see the world around us with some real eyes, with some real vision. We're beginning a new series today because today marks a new season of the church here, this epiphany season. The word epiphany, it's a pretty cool word. Uh, most literally means to appear or to be revealed. So you like, you have a revelation, you have an epiphany, but it means that because at its core, the word has to do with light of something being brought to light or a light being shined on something. This is, this is a season of light, which is fitting because of what is traditionally uh, celebrated on this day. So traditionally, uh, this is the day that we would celebrate the wise men coming and seeing Jesus, which could have been up to a couple years after Jesus was born. Remember, they followed the light in the sky, the star. Anybody see the Christmas star, by the way? Yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty cool. Um, what an amazing thing to get to, what a blessing to get to see uh, in this year. But anyway, how they came to see, these wise men came to see Jesus. And, and, and part of what's significant is that these people were not part of the, the Old Testament nation of Israel. They didn't come from that Jewish background. This account shows how Jesus wasn't just a light revealed to the Jewish people, but he's a light for the whole world since these wise men came from other nations. Jesus was brought to light for them they could then bring it back and be a light to those around them. And that's the idea with Epiphany is that Jesus, God himself has been brought to light to us in Jesus. As we look at the light, we get filled with light and then we can be a light to the world because he is a light to the whole world. 
That's what the epiphany season is all about, is about light. God being brought to light, him bringing us to light, him shining lights through us throughout the world. And so to help us celebrate that, we have this new series. Again, we're not studying the traditional wise men coming to Jesus. If you're going to study that, I encourage that you do. Spend time this week, read Matthew chapter 2. That's the traditional account. For us, though, we're going to start into this new series, looking at these events from Jesus' life, celebrating the transition that has happened, how we now get to begin to see. And to start this series off, we have a lesson today about how God has given us brand new eyes. The lesson we have today, it's John chapter 9, verses 24 to 25. It says, A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Now, for our preparatory lesson today, we read through all that background leading up to it. It'd be good for us just to review some of the highlights here again quick to make sure we have it clear in our head. So Jesus and his disciples are passing by, and they see this man who is blind, and he'd been blind from birth. This man had never been able to see He's still blind at this point, and then his disciples ask him a question, ask Jesus a question. And it's a question that reveals a very important reality to us about what's taking place here, is that Jesus is living in a time where there are some very prominent false ideas about God and how God works, even particularly from the, the religion, even from people who are trying to follow the Old Testament scriptures. There's some really prominent false ideas, and it's revealed in this question, who sinned? This man or his parents? The idea was that if, if you're going to be, if someone's born blind, if something that bad happens to somebody, they must have done something. Or I, I was, it dawned on me this week. I wonder if the question had to do with like, would he possibly sin? Because to be born blind, you know, they asked who sinned, this man or his parents? Are, are they asking, did he sin in the womb? Did he sin? Was he going to sin? You know what I mean? Like, it's an interesting question. Would this guy be a bad person? So is that why God made him blind? Is that behind the question? I don't know. But what I know is that they had this idea that there must have been a particular sin in this man's parents or in him or that would happen in him. And so therefore, that's, that must be why he's blind. But that's not how it works. Yes, we, we, bad things happen, difficult things happen like blindness in this world because we live in a sinful, broken world. But when something like that happens, it's not necessarily because you've done anything in particularly wrong. It's not, you did this, therefore you are blind. Actually, Jesus says that this man was born this way so that the works of God would be revealed in him. God had a very significant purpose for this man's blindness. And then Jesus would put that purpose on display here because he would go and he would spit into the ground, make mud, and put it on the guy's eyes, which I would have loved to be there for that event. I still just, you see videos trying to portray this. I still think like, what a weird sequence of events. And like how uncomfortable for the dude who, who gets the, like, I'm like some stranger spits in the ground, makes mud and puts it on my eyes. I'd be like, nah, man, I'm good. Thanks though. You know, like what? A strange thing, but he puts mud on his eyes and says, Go and wash in this pool, this pool called Siloam, uh, which means scent. And, and I'm pointing that out just because I realized when I was reviewing it this week, that detail that the pool was called Siloam, which means scent, is noted twice. It must be significant, and I'm not sure why. So if you read this chapter of John this week, ponder that and share your thoughts with me because I'm still chewing on why is it significant, the name of the pool. Anyways, 
He goes to the pool, washes his eyes, and he can see. He goes around and people are like, wait a minute, there's this guy. Isn't that the guy who was blind? Isn't that him? And some people are like, no, nah, it can't be him. Like, there's no way he was blind. It's got to be somebody who looks like him. But other people are like, no, no, this is the guy. He, this is him. And he's like, yeah, it was me. I was blind. I can see. So they end up bringing him to the religious and political leaders, the, 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 the Sanhedrin, and they, they bring him before them. And they're like, hey, this guy was blind. Now he can see. And these guys have a hard time believing it too. They actually then call in his parents. Well, first they call in him and like, were you blind? And he's like, yeah, I was blind. And they talk about what happened. They don't believe him. They bring in his parents. And they're like, hey, is this really your son? Was he, was he really blind? And yeah, this is our son. He was blind. And so then they ask his parents, well, then how can he see now? And his parents said, he's of age, ask him. It's a great answer. Because they knew that these religious and political leaders were, were anti-Jesus and what he was doing. And they didn't want to be the ones to say, well, Jesus did it. They just passed it off on their son and let him deal with them. And so then the son is there for them a second time. And they ask him, well, who did this? How can you now see? And that's where we get into our lesson today, where we learn about the new eyes that Jesus has given him and given us. Because in our lesson, we're told that a second time they summon the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. It's interesting, by the way, I want to line that word no, because in this context, especially, it's interesting because we're here, we're talking about a man who can now see. And the word know, most literally, it actually starts with the idea of seeing. It's seeing that becomes knowing. A, a better translation would be perceive or behold. In other words, they're looking at it with their eyes, and then they're making conclusions in their mind about what they see. It's a perception. It, it, they're, they're beholding this. So we see what he's doing, and according to our sight, according to our minds, what he's doing, he must be a sinner. And their reasoning for this is because they said that he does not keep the Sabbath. They thought they were, he, they, they saw Jesus as breaking God's laws about the Sabbath. Now, just real quick about the Sabbath. So remember, the Sabbath, uh, it actually has its roots in the creation account because God created days one through six, he created, and then on day seven, he stopped creating, he rested. And that's what the word Sabbath really means to cease, to stop. And so then, therefore, to rest. And then God gave them an official way, a formal way to celebrate this and to experience this, actually, when he was in the process of bringing them towards the promised land. So after he brought them out of Egypt, and then he's leading them you know, through the wilderness, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. Um, he, he's providing for them with manna uh, during the day that this, this, this bread from heaven that they're eating. Well, he provided it for them on days one through six, just enough for the day. Uh, you know, if you read through the account, it's interesting. If they gathered stuff to like keep for the next day, it would be filled with maggots by the next day. It was only supposed, God always only provided them. You just take enough for today. And then on the sixth day though, was the day that they could take twice as much so that then there would be enough provided for them to the seventh day. So on the seventh day, they could stop. They were to stop. They were to cease. They were to, to just rest, to remember what God had done for them and to remember what he would do for them, where he was leading them. It was this beautiful gift God had given them. I command you to stop and to rest and to celebrate who I am, what I've done, and what I'm doing. Over time, though, this day became a day really that was about a lot of rules. 
there were so many rules that were developed about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. What does it mean to stop? You got to stop this, but how about this? It became just really nailed down to all these different details. And when they did that, when they came up with all these rules, it's good for us to realize that, that it wasn't necessarily bad intentioned to come up with all these rules. Because when you go through, and we, we study this a lot, you go through the Old Testament, how often did God's people turn away from him and serve other gods? Over and over again. And so there was an effort by religious leaders to really, we got to focus on law. We got to get these things down. We got to make sure we're following God's law, especially if we want God to do what he promised for us, that he's going to make us a great kingdom and bring hope to the world, all these things. We better really nail down this law. And so it actually started in some very well-intentioned things. We want to focus on the law, but it became all these different laws, all these different practices. And over time, and we see this in Jesus' ministry, it also became, well, kind of a breaking point between Jesus and the religious leaders. Remember, these religious, religious leaders in Jesus' day, there wasn't this separation of church and state that we strive for today, but rather in Jesus' day, the religious leaders were the political leaders. The Pharisees, the Sadducees were the political groups. They were the power groups. They were the people who had wealth and the, the authority. And so Jesus comes and he doesn't fit in either of these groups. This is one of the great things about Jesus. Jesus, are you going to side with the Pharisees and side with Sadducees? Neither. He calls them all out. This is how Jesus works. He doesn't fit into our normal categories. He calls them all out, which is why they also oppose him. And so now they saw, okay, Jesus, who was against us, is breaking our Sabbath rules. And so therefore, they're claiming he's not from God. They're thinking, they're seeing God himself. And actually, what they think they see is someone who isn't from God because he is against them. And so therefore, he is, they're accusing him of breaking the rules. You know, this whole issue with vision that was prominent in Jesus' day, where people had something that maybe started with good intentions, but then became all kinds of man-made rules. This issue with people seeing Jesus poorly because he doesn't fit their agenda, because he doesn't fit what they want or how they think things should go. This is not a Jesus' day only problem. People have had issues with vision ever since sin came into this world. I mean, if you go back to Adam and Eve, it's interesting that the, the event that brought sin into the world had to do with them seeing things according to their own eyes instead of trusting what God said. What does it say about how they saw the fruit? It was pleasing to the eye. And so when they chose to do things according to what, how it looked to them rather than trust God, they blurred their vision. And ever since then, we were all born with blurry vision with blindness when it comes to God and what he's doing in our world. And we need to be aware that we live in a time today where that same thing happens, that we live in a world of blurred vision, of blindness, where there are a lot of ideas that really are intended well, that mean well. There's a lot of ideas. This is what you need to do to be happy. This is what we need to do to help people feel better, or to, to do this or to do that. But it's really not from God. So you have all these ideas that, that, are, that were intended well and yet blur people's vision and blind people. There are a lot of statements, and I've heard a lot of them lately, or a lot of things where people are actually saying things, even in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Bible, and they're not true. They don't fit the Bible. 
And so they're blurring people's vision. My, I was talking to my dad the other day. He's a retire, He's a pastor. He's serving a retirement call. And he had. He was telling me about someone who came and uh, as an in-home nurse to his, some of his members. And this person who was a dedicated Christian was telling him about all this stuff. And typically it was from Revelation, about all this stuff that's happening and, and so on. And, and it's all this. And my dad was like, don't believe a word of it because it's built on false theology. It's not true. The person meant well, but their, their, their vision was blurred by their false understanding of what God's words are, just like in Jesus' day. We need to be aware that we live in a world where there's a lot of blindness. For people intend well, at least at first. Remember, though, in Jesus' day also, may may have intended well at first, but then there's still that sinful me attitude in here that comes in. And anything that doesn't go my direction, then we want to fight against it. And be aware that there's a lot of ideas in the world that cause blurriness and blindness. And as we talk about those ideas in the world, you know, one of the things over again, this last, whatever, nine months or so, is there's been a lot of talk about all the issues in the world and a lot of posting on social media about all the issues in the world. But you know, the, the, the way that Christians, the way that Jesus invites us to deal with it is different than that. The place that we start is not by, this is what's wrong with them or them or them. Jesus, remember, he didn't fit in anybody's box. Jesus said the issue isn't, it wasn't the Romans. It wasn't this leader or that leader. The issue was in every human heart. And it's that sin that we deal with that blurs our vision. And so for us, as we think about all this blindness out there, what we are invited to do every time we go to God's word and when we study him today and we think about him today, what we are invited to do is to look at our hearts and to consider are there ways in which we have sometimes, you know, gone the direction of the sinful nature, bought into some things that maybe blur our vision where we don't see things clearly, whether it be in the world or really just our day-to-day -day lives. Like when we go about how we, we interact with people, how we talk with people, how we, we, what, we, what we focus our time and our energy on. Are there ways in which we have acted and lived with blurred, blinded vision? And we get to lay those before Jesus, admit where we've been blind or where we've lived with blurred vision, and we get to again and again hear how he gives us this miraculous change where he gives us new eyes. Look at the change. Look at the transformation that happens in our lesson. So this blind man, he, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. They're like, hey, they're talking about this guy being a sinner. And the blind man's like, I don't know, but here's what I know. I have never seen a day before in my life. Now I see. That's a pretty big deal. This is pretty significant. So you can try to think about what you think he's a sinner or not. I can see now. And when he says there's one thing I know, it's that same word of now I, I behold, I perceive. We could see right away that the, the face miracle, that okay, now he's been given sight, which is amazing. But when you see that he's perceiving differently, that his mind is working differently, we see a deeper miracle. The, the, the religious leaders, the political leaders, the, the, these power groups were, were looking at Jesus based on their ideas of how a person should work and how God should work and how God will look. 
they're looking and their, their vision is blurred by their, their selfishness and, and their, their, their self ideas. This guy has had a shift where he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm not actually looking at Jesus through those things anymore. I'm not looking at him through these blurry eyes. I'm looking at the fact that he has made me so I can see. I don't know. I don't know about what I see when it comes to how God's supposed to work and how all this goes, but this is what I do know. I was a blind man. I'm not anymore. I couldn't see. Now I can see. And so that's what they do. Jesus has given him eyes that work, but, he, but he's given him new eyes because now he has eyes. What he's looking at Jesus with, he's not looking anymore with, with his physical eyes or even his own ideas of how God should work. He's looking at Jesus based on what Jesus has done and how Jesus has, has given him something he can never get himself. And those are the eyes that we get to look at Jesus with too and that we get to look at the world with too. How does God work? What is God? How does God always do things? What's going on in our world? You know what? I don't know. I don't always know what God's doing. And sometimes I look around and I don't know what's going on in the world or where things are going to be, you know, um, in the future and whatnot. I don't know. But here's what I do know. This world is broken. The world that we live in, my life, is broken. And I need hope that's different than what this world has to offer. I know that. I know that I live in a world where there are leaders and there are different people trying and there are different groups and things who have all these different ideas about how to fix things and that people tend to, to look to others and, come and, and try to push forward ideas to try to heal things, but I know it never works. Just study history. I need a different sort of king. You know, when the, when the wise men came, where did they go first to see the, to see the child? They went to the palace. Where do, you, where do you find a king? You go, you go to the palace. You know what? That, that, that leader there, he had no clue a king was even born. They didn't find the king there. They found him in a house. We needed a king that doesn't work like the leaders and the other people in the world. We need a different sort of king. A king who doesn't, they didn't put himself first or his own ideas first. Actually, he did totally the opposite of that. Our king was completely, is completely self-sacrificial. We have a king who lived a perfect life, who only deserved everything good from his father. But instead of taking it, he looked at all of us and he said, I'm going to give you my life. He laid it down on a cross and he died for every wrong thing you and I've ever done. He could take the punishment, the justice it all deserves, and he could give us his perfect life in turn. We needed a king that, that was different. And, and I, I don't know how everything looks in this world, but I know that there's a king who, instead of doing what he wanted, what he thought was right, he laid it all down. And I know that not only did he lay it all down, but he also broke the rules when he died. You know the typical rules, like when you die, you stay dead? You know, that's a pretty much a standard, standard rule of how it works. Not him. He broke the way the world works because he broke death. And he came back to life. I need a king that was different. 
and I don't know. I don't know what's all going on in the world. I don't. I don't know what we need to do, and and we should think carefully and 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 prayerfully about different steps. But you know what? Instead of being so stuck on how I'm trying to figure everything out, I'm going to go with what I do know. I have a world that was broken, but there's hope to heal it. I know that we have a world where people try to fix things this way, but there's a king who is different. I know we live in a world where people focus on self, but there's one who gave it all. And I know that there is one who died and he rose. This is how I'm going to look at Jesus. And this is how I'm going to look at the world through new eyes. I don't know. I don't know. I can't make sense of all this other stuff, but I can make sense of this. I have a God who comes to give real healing. And it's made it so I can see. That's what happened to this man here in this lesson. That's what happens for us. And when, when we have that shift, when, when we have new eyes, that's when we can begin to experience what Jesus really came to do and what that actual Sabbath day was all about. The Sabbath day that, that Jesus healed the man on. You know, I, I realized recently that typically when I talked about the Sabbath day and people being upset about Jesus healing on the Sabbath day, I, I, would, tip, I would often talk about all the wrong ideas about the Sabbath day. But I didn't talk very much about the right ideas about the Sabbath day. And I, and I actually, this, this was a question that plagued me for quite some time. It was, why did Jesus do it anyways? Because it sure seems like he did it on purpose. You know, and, and, and he, it seems like the gospel writers really wanted to highlight for us that it was a Sabbath day and Jesus did this. So what's the deal? Is he picking a fight? Like, what, what, why is he doing this? Well, he's doing it. Because Jesus, well, he likes to say this, so he says he's Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, he is actually the one that the Sabbath pointed to all along. And he is the one who brings what the Sabbath is all about. Check it out. The number seven is a big deal in the Bible. Yeah, in biblical Hebrew, the word seven is connected to the idea of fullness or completeness. And that's something we all long for, but don't often experience. Instead, we find ourselves working endlessly, fighting back chaos with no real rest. Yes. Now keep all that in mind as we turn to Genesis 1 in the Bible. It begins with darkness and disorder, but then God speaks to bring about light and order so that life can flourish. And this happens over the course of six days. Each day is marked with the phrase, there was evening and there was morning. But on the seventh day, something special happens. God stops and rests. Right. Creation is brought to its completion on the seventh day. And that phrase, there was evening and there was morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. It's like a day with no end. On the seventh day, God's presence fills his creation. The land provides for all of God's creatures, including humans who are appointed to rule the world with God forever. Kings and queens of the seventh day rest. I can get into that. But the humans are deceived by a dark power and they forfeit that rest. They're exiled into the wilderness where they have to work as slaves to the land. Until they die and return to the dust from which they came. But God wants to restore humanity back to that seventh day rest. So he chooses to give the family of Israel that experience of ultimate rest so they can share it with others. But how? They're in Egypt, slaves to an oppressive empire who's grinding them into the dust. So God confronts Egypt and he liberates the Israelites, taking them through the darkness and chaos on the way to the promised land. Now, while they're on their way, they find themselves in the wilderness. It's easy to get lost, life is a struggle, 
they're not in the land of rest yet. But while they're on the way, God invites them in the wilderness to start living as if they're in the promised land. But how do you practice the future rest in the wilderness? Well, God tells them that every seventh day they are to stop their work, or in Hebrew, to Shabbat, so that they can rest and enjoy God's good world. So take a whole day to live as if the ultimate rest has already come. Yeah, this is the Sabbath, celebrated every week on the seventh day. But there's more. The Sabbath is just one of seven festivals that Israel practiced every year, each one anticipating that seventh day rest. That is a lot of sevens. And there's even more. Every seven years, the Israelites were to liberate slaves, forgive debts, and let the land rest for a whole year. And then every seven times seven years was the ultimate seventh day rest called the year of Jubilee. If anyone had lost their land or gone into debt, all was forgiven, everything restored. Wow, so the Sabbath, these feasts, the year of Jubilee, it's all pointing towards the hope of future rest. Right. Now, when the Israelites went into the land, they forgot their God, and so they forfeited their chance for rest in the promised land. They're exiled and enslaved again by an oppressive nation, led back into a world of chaos and disorder. But Israel's prophets said that their exile would end one day and that the ultimate jubilee of freedom and rest would come, but generations go by and they're still waiting. It's at this dark point in the story that Jesus appears and he launches his public mission on a Sabbath day. Yeah, he read aloud from the scroll of Isaiah saying that it was time for all captives and slaves to be released because this was the year of the Lord's favor. What did he mean, this is the year of the Lord's favor? He was talking about the ultimate jubilee. Also, Jesus is claiming that seventh day rest would come through him. Right, he said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath and he confronted disorder and darkness in all of its forms, liberating people from sickness, sin, even from death itself. Yet, Jesus was killed, so even his work was undone. Well, it seemed that way. But notice, Jesus timed his death to take place at the end of the week. His body rested in a tomb during the Sabbath, and on the eighth day, he rose from the dead. Oh wait, the eighth day? You mean the first day of a new week? Exactly. Jesus' resurrection was like the first day of a new creation, where God's light and life broke into the darkness. So because of the resurrection, we have hope in God's promise of future rest. But we're not there yet. It's like we're still in the wilderness where we experience struggle and pain. But as we journey towards that ultimate seventh day, Jesus invites us to experience a taste of real rest now by following him, or in his words, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. You know, the only thing I don't like about that video is that they show somebody holding a cat and I'm allergic and I just feel like sneezing every time I watch that part. I love the, the, the point of what Sabbath is and why Jesus did all this stuff on the Sabbath. What, what did he come to do? He, he, he brings the, the rest and the healing that it's been pointing to all along. And, and Jesus gave this man in this lesson eyes, not to just see physically, but, but eyes to see, see Jesus because Jesus was, was bringing the healing that the world had been longing for for so long. And for you and me, for us too, he has given us eyes of faith. And when we, when we have those eyes of faith, we begin to experience the healing that the world has been longing for and continues to long for. 
And as we, we live with those new eyes it is when we really get to carry forward the spirit of what epiphany is, is all about. When we, when we stop, when we, when we recognize that, man, you know what, so often I do look with blurry eyes and I have been blind. But when you lay those things down and know Jesus is taking those all away, when we live by what we know about who the Savior is, we step into the light. And when we live by that truth, then we live by the light. And you know what happens when you live by the light? You shine a light. You shine a light to a world that has blurry vision, blindness, and darkness. And so as we go forward into this, this season, as, as we live in this world, let's, let's live in the light of who Jesus is. Let's live in what we know. Let's live in the healing. And as we do so, we can be his lights that he shines through to give vision, to give healing, to give what the world needs. New eyes.